We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 170. We're recording this early in game two of the doubleheader. It did not go as planned. Game one did not go as planned. Scott, we were talking after Sunday's game all fired up because the Yankees got within two and a half games of the Red Sox. Boy, have things changed pretty quickly this week. Yeah, things are different. When you run into a uh, hot Cleveland Indians team, I mean, this is a good team, and they're playing good baseball right now, too. So add those two together. That's a recipe for ending that nice little streak, and uh, that's exactly what's happened, unfortunately. So we're recording this in the middle of the second game of the doubleheader. Hopefully they can come back. Montgomery did not help them out by giving up four early. Um, So hopefully uh, we get something good. 
Coming up later in this episode, I talked to Rich Keefe of WEEI in Boston about the upcoming Red Sox series. Just keep in mind, I recorded that on Tuesday night before the Yankees dropped the first game of the doubleheader and hopefully did not drop the second game. But we kind of talked about the rivalry from a Red Sox perspective, asked if he hated any of the players. Little spoiler alert, he's not a huge fan of Gary Sanchez, which is to be to be understood. And we also talked about uh, some of the other Red Sox players and some of their injury updates. So stay tuned for that uh, part of the podcast later in this episode. Also, reminder about September 30th, Scott. Yeah, we're just waiting on the New York Yankees to give us a link at this point. We're just uh, waiting on them to release that link so that we can get it out to sell for you guys. Um, but it's happening from what I'm told any second now. We're all good on our end. The seats are all reserved. We're just waiting for that point of purchase link. So keep an eye out. Make sure you still block your calendars. 59 bucks gets you a ticket to the game in sections uh, 204 and 205, 205 and 206, sorry, and then gets you a t-shirt and gets you a pregame at the Bronx Brewery. That's two Bronx Banner Ale beers, 16-ounce pints for free, and then we got $4 uh, Banner Pints running from then until about 3 o'clock when the game starts. If they flex the game till later, then we'll just adjust the time accordingly, but um, that's it. That's a, it's, a, again, a, a tremendous deal. September 30th, mark it on your calendar. As soon as the point of purchase is up, you will know. I guarantee it because I will blast it everywhere. Yeah, we've got a lot of people on social media saying one of those tickets going on sale. So that's a good thing because people are looking out for it. Yeah, they're coming. I promise you. Before the game on Monday, Girardi talked about sitting down Aaron Judge for a few games, and I think it was a long time coming. You and I talked about giving him a little bit of a mental day's rest as well as a physical day's rest like two weeks ago on the podcast. Finally, it took two months of Judge striking out every day for Girardi to finally do it. I think the thing that set him over the edge was there is a little bit something to that left shoulder injury. Yeah, but the the problem with what's – you know, what I'm having with this injury is that they're talking about, one, we see the wrap. We talked about that last time. But they're not doing anything about it besides maybe a little bit of rest. I mean, I, I just don't understand why, if you have a guy of this magnitude with, uh, with a potential injury, why we're not looking into it, why they're not talking about CSI um, Bronx on Aaron Judge like they, were gonna, like they had done with Tanaka. I, I just, to me, why not play the cautious route and check it out just in case? I don't get that. Right. You should have got all up in his chambers. You should have gotten all up in his chambers. That's it. <laughs> they should have gotten look all under up the in robe. his chambers with look, an MRI. Look, look under, the under the robe. Judge. Under the robe. Um, yeah, Brian Hoke tweeted that not only did he not have a cortisone shot, but he didn't even have an MRI. I just don't understand that. What, what possibly could an MRI – how could that be negative other than the fact that it shows actual damage? At the very least, just for peace of mind for Aaron Judge and the Yankees, it could show nothing, which would be good. Yeah, I mean, I understand the cortisone shot if you're not going to look at what is causing the injury and then you're just going to do a blind cortisone shot. That doesn't happen. But the fact that they're not doing the MRI or any kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe the, the, the physician just feels okay with the what he's looking at physically and saying, look, this is not what I think it is. I'm sure doctors can tell something without going to an MRI, but I don't know. To me, when you have a guy like this that's as big as he is, who is the future of your team, you've already put a freaking section in right field. Let's, let's just find out in case something actually is happening that maybe the doctors are having a bad day and didn't see. A la, a la Greg Bird, by the way. Right. It took them, what, two months to finally diagnose what was wrong with Greg Bird. Yeah. So why can't we use that as a nice little, uh, nice little example of things aren't always what they seem and just get the freaking pictures taken and take a, t- take a look at it? It doesn't hurt. 
What's your opinion on players like Judge who say every time when Girardi asks him, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, Girardi said, equated him to Derek Jeter in that sense. Like Jeter would never admit he was banged up. He would always just say, I'm fine, I can go out there and play. What do you, how do you feel about players that do that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like it. I, it's not their decision, honestly. I think if something is truly bothering them to a point where you know, it's a, it's a major hindrance. I think a lot of these guys tr- do believe that they're, they're right neck. They're right on the cusp of either breaking out of something or it's really not hindering them as much. It's something else. So I, I don't, I think you have to take the word of the player with a grain of salt and you have to rely on your medical staff for, for that type of thing, because the player, of course you want them to play. You, of course you want that attitude. Clint Frazier had the same attitude, which is why he didn't really tell anybody for a little while that his oblique was hurting. And then he finally told somebody, I'm assuming he told the trainer, like, hey, can you take a look at my my rib cage area? I'm feeling a little sore. And then that's sort of what landed him on the DL. But Frazier was the same way. And we haven't really heard an update on Clint Frazier's status, I think, because they're just milking this thing until we can get some September call-ups. There, and then there's no doubt about it. They're waiting because if, if he were to come back right now, there would there because possibly be a, a messy roster situation with with Aaron Hicks or Ellsbury who's actually playing pretty decently and then now with Bird coming up and you know Castro back and Holiday approaching coming back there's just too many bodies at this point so I think they have to just really make sure that he is healthy and I think this is just a good excuse another good excuse to make sure that he is healthy. We talked a couple weeks ago about how the Yankees were getting reinforcements with Starling Castro and and Greg Bird, and that's great. And Matt Holiday is also supposedly going to be making rehab stint in Scranton and could be back as soon as next week. That's all well and good. But when you have this many players that you're going to be relying on coming back from injury, like Starling Castro doesn't look that great at the plate so far. Aaron Hicks, after he had a few hot games when he first returned, has gone on back to struggling. I don't understand what he's doing at the plate. He doesn't seem to have an approach. He's either trying to hit the ball to the moon or he's trying to like just walk. So I, I do have not liked what I've seen from Aaron Hicks the last week or so. So you've got a lot of guys trying to find their swing again as we're going into the most important series of the season, four games against Boston. Yeah, not a, not what you want. Not what you want when you're going into that type of series. There's no doubt they put themselves in a position where they can really make up some ground or catch them if if they were to actually play well against the Indians. Um, Boston making a comeback out of uh, you know and, and winning uh, the game against Toronto and then shutting them down. So look, the the bottom line is that you need this team to be on full stride. And you're right, it's tough to do that when you're coming back from injuries. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you got Greg Bird and Sterling Castro on spring training right now. They're just trying to figure out what they're doing, how they're doing it, get that swing back, get that feel back. And right now, unfortunately, there's just no time for that. to. There's no, there's no time to wait. They, they have to actually come back and, and produce at a high level. Um, makes me worried about Matt Holiday too because we saw what he tried to – he was a shell of himself when he came back. And uh, I'm very curious to see what he is now. And he didn't even look good in Tampa when he was making rehab. Yeah, I mean, they sent him up to Scranton for a reason, right? So I don't know if it's just going to be, you know, maybe they take their time with him at Scranton as well, and, and they're waiting for, for the rosters to expand or whatever they're doing. I don't know. They're, they're, I'm sure they're going to take their time, but at the same time, they want him to be playing at a higher level so that they can see, you know, how he is facing AAA at least. So there's a, it's an interesting situation they got with Holiday right now. It really is. But, you know, with the way that the roster is, there's really no huge rush to get him back. 
Going back to Judge for a second, it was an interesting situation today in the game when Girardi was the last out of the game against Cody Allen, one of the best relief pitchers in baseball, uh, down 2-1, to one, Aaron Judge pinch hits for Ronald Torres. On paper, that obviously makes sense. You're, you're trying to tie the game with a home run. But I don't know if setting up Aaron Judge after you just sat him down for a couple days to try and get his swing right, the fact that he also may be dealing with an injury, putting him up there against Cody Allen – that doesn't really bode well for his confidence. And then he's batting cleanup in game two. I just kind of think Girardi's in the middle here with, with Aaron Judge. Well, it's an interesting move, too, because when you look at Torres and the type of numbers he has in big situations, I mean, the dude's on base. I get that you're trying to get the long ball and you're trying to get one swing to, to uh, tie the game. But at the same time, Torres gives you an opportunity to get a base runner on and, and then you have, you know, the, um, the tying run on base. And giving your the rest of the team the the chance to uh, drive him in. So, I don't know, it's a it's a very weird situation to put a man in who you're sitting down because of struggling, because of a potential injury and then going up against one of the, you know, the better closers. It's a it's a head scratcher, man, and it's just like add it to the list of the amount of things that Girardi is doing this year, not bullpen related even, but but Roster related, and I don't think we really complained too much about what he did. Roster related, he would make some weird things about sitting a guy when they're hot occasionally, but the majority of our complaints I felt like came with the bullpen. I don't know. He's doing some very strange things at this point, and um, like I've said in the past, man, he's, he's really, uh, this is the first time I've ever really questioned Girardi and, and the way he's doing things. Wednesday afternoon was their 23rd one-run loss of the season. That leads baseball. That's it's bad. horrible. That's bad. It's horrible. Like even if you just take split them. a third, not even split them, a third, yeah. just take a third of those games and flip it. I mean, those you figure one run games are either or games, even if there's six or seven of those that bounce the Yankees way, maybe they're obviously they could be in first place at this point. But at a certain point, you have to look at the manager and say, what are you not doing in these one run games now in the night? inning with this pinch hitting situation I don't want to say that he's Girardi's the reason they lost the game because that that's asinine the fact the whole offense was shut down by Trevor Bauer again which is a whole other issue but he pinch hits Starling Castro for Todd Frazier and then he pinch hits Aaron Judge for Ronald Torres why not let Todd Frazier hit he's also a guy who can go deep and then pinch hit Starling Castro for Ronald Torres who's going to have to go in the game to play second base even if you do tie the game yeah, there's, there's weird situations like that. Uh, again, I, he's looking at the binder, looking at previous numbers most likely and, and saying that this is my matchup. This is, this is what I think will work. This is what the numbers say. And then he just does it. There's no feel for the game. There's no intuition. There's none of that because he just goes by the, strictly the numbers, strictly the right move in the book. And that to me is why he's making a lot. And honestly, if you're, if you're talking about one-run games, if you think about a one-run game, a lot of that to me is coming down to feel for the game. Do you have the tempo of the game at that moment? Do you understand where your players are at that moment in the game? And I think the overwhelming answer when you see how many one-run losses this team has is that Girardi doesn't get it. He doesn't have the, the, the tempo, the pulse, the, you know, the vibe of the team, the, the vibe of the situation, and he's making the wrong call more times than not. I mean, you can, you can talk about how many times he's put Chapman back to back to back in big situations for him just to fail once again. So, I don't know. The, again, this is just leading me down the same road of, of Girardi is really, really doing things to unimpress me this year. Right. Well, it's tough, though, because at a certain point, you can't blame Girardi for the fact that they went one for seven and left eight guys on base again in game one. Like, Girardi's not out there trying to get that run home from third base. No, 100%. 100%. 
but the, when but, the one run but you have too many you have too up. many yeah exactly it's too many where there's smoke there's fire with the 23 one run losses eventually you have to say okay yeah, yeah players it's on you but you have to look at the manager too at the very least just to put blame somewhere well i mean you guys need to be put in situations where they can succeed not in situations where they're doomed almost before they even approach the plate or or approach the mound and a manager can absolutely hold a guy back and not put him in a position where chances are because of what's been happening lately and the way he's throwing or the way he's hitting, then it's not going to end well for that guy in that particular situation. But I'm going to do it anyway because it's the eighth inning or it's the ninth inning and this guy pitches in that time or you know whatever the case may be and it's in the book and that's, that's what is always done, so I'm going to do it. There's a feel for the game that is extremely lacking right now. And I have a problem with that. It goes back to my eye test. It goes back to me not really looking at all the, the, the metrics as much. I mean, yes, they're important. You have to take them into consideration. I get that. But a manager has to have a feel for his players, has to have a feel for a situation and the flow of the entire game. So, and Girardi is doing a terrible job of that this year. Well, how much do you put on the fact that we've got a bunch of young players playing in their first ever meaningful baseball games? I don't. I mean, does that really put – is Araldus Chapman a young player? Is Araldus <laughs> Chapman that guy that, who's coming in in a, in a big situation again and again and again after struggling? No. No. No, that's the, Girard, that's, that's, that's the Girardi – that's the Girardi <laughs> factor. That's what that is. It has nothing to do with the young player. There's a lot of guys that can handle it. Clint Frazier, I feel totally confident in a big moment. You know why? Because I look at him and I see the way he acts. I see the way that he approaches big moments. And to me, it looks like he embraces them. There are other players that do not feel that way. Clint Frazier is not on the field right now. I'm just giving you an example of, of a type of situation with a young guy. Yeah, you've got Aaron Judge who's going through the biggest struggles of his life. He's never gone through something like this. And then you've got Gary Sanchez who... Let's talk about Sanchez now and his, his two more pass balls in this series. That's, a, that's, a, that's something that needs to be addressed because we've talked about it all season and people are kind of poo-pooing it like, well, he's still a great player. Yeah, we're not saying he's a bad player, but it's two more pass balls in this series alone that have directly led to runs. It was a guy on third base in both situations and he could not block the ball. The one on uh, Monday night, I guess was only half his fault because Adam Warren spiked a fastball and it's hard to block a ball when, when it's a fastball. You don't expect a, a fastball to be spiked across across the plate like that. But the one today in the first inning was almost a strike and he just completely whiffed on it. You know, there, there are people, there are so many people defending him as a baseball player and completely just dismissing what happens on the defensive side. One in particular, Ryan Rucco's tweet that I think you were, I think you went in there and, uh, and, and kind of responded to him as well a little bit. It rubbed me the wrong way because it was almost like, like everybody is stupid for looking at Gary Sanchez as a complete player and, and because of the defense criticizing him. So we should just forget about everything because he's a great offensive player, which he is, which we acknowledge. But half of the game, when you are such an important part of the team as your battery, as the guy that's controlling your pitching staff, calling the game for you, catching the ball when someone's throwing 100 miles an hour in crucial times, when that guy is doing a terrible job on that side, he has to be called out. He has to, that, the attention has to go to that side of the, of the ball because it's costing the Yankees ball games at this point. And this is the time where you cannot be costing ball games for dumb Mental mistakes for, for lackadaisical defensive errors, there's just no room for that. I don't care if you're a rookie or if you're in your second year of ball. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you hit 60 home runs. And if you let, you let up three runs because of your past balls, then I got to tell you about that. And I got to be 
I got to look for improvement. It's a, I don't know what it is and why people think that everything is just gone and dismissive because he's a great offensive player. Well, then you know what? Maybe he should be the DH. <laughs> well, he's not just a great offensive player. He's also a great throwing catcher. And if you look at advanced metrics, I was actually surprised about this. He's above average framing wise. I did not think he was above average framing, but he's the worst in baseball as far as blocking balls. 13 pass balls on the season. A lot of them have led directly to runs and runners getting on base in big situations. He's now tied uh, for the most pass balls in Yankees history with 13 with Posada, except Posada had it in 400 more innings than Gary Sanchez. That's crazy. So, so the the issue of pass balls isn't you can't just dismiss it like you said. It's it's a gigantic issue and it's glaring. And does that not speak to also the 23 games that that the Yankees have lost with a one run uh, deficit? I mean, that's you you look at a ball that gets by a guy and there's a runner on third base. There's your run. I know that's happened before. I know that those runs have counted and the games have been lost because of those runs. So so aren't you looking also at the fact that this guy is there at the end of a game and and being your – I was talking about this a couple of weeks ago, I think, about being your, your closer at catcher and having Romine go in in the ninth inning because there's no confidence or or Chapman not being able to drop a slider or a breaking ball you know, low in the zone, potentially in the dirt, and having the confidence that Sanchez is going to – block that ball and keep that runner at third. That's a big thing because if that's not that's not happening, then they don't have the confidence in the catcher. Then they have to throw a pitch they don't feel confident in. And that's another problem. And, and guess what? Don't, advanced metrics don't pick that up. But that's a thing. Yeah, totally. And I guess the good news is the fact that blocking balls as far as catchers go is like the easiest thing to improve on it i think anyway if you don't have the arm strength you don't have the arm strength you can't really teach arm strength and framing i guess that that's sort of like a feel for the game type of thing blocking is just getting your ass and working like getting your ass down on the ground and working at it well no he could do that yeah but that's but the thing is, is there's also a very big feel in that as well i mean there is a huge feel in blocking a ball the ball is not the ball is spinning in a different direction at a different speed every single time it's thrown yeah. depending on who it's thrown lefty righty if it's guys throwing hard curveball slider it doesn't matter the ball is spinning in different ways so one there's a huge mental approach to the blocking the ball and two you got to know what's coming and you got to anticipate the bounce and this dude is literally anticipating the wrong way it's crazy <laughs> he's a major league catcher and he's anticipating the wrong spin on a guy that he's caught how many bullpens for it baffles my brain I uh, I, saw, I can't remember who tweeted this, so I apologize for not giving them credit today, but they were saying that, okay, so Sanchez is calling pitches and he knows where they're going and he can't block them. What makes, we th- what makes us think if he goes to first base, he could block balls at first base where he doesn't know where it's going? <laughs> Valid point. I don't know. There's, there's nothing to telling you that he could do that. That's why maybe and just maybe he's going to be the long-term designated hitter. And I, personally, I think that's where he's going to be eventually. Because if this, if this blocking thing doesn't get fixed and – Honestly, he's going to have to do a ridiculous amount of work, and it's not going to happen in season. It's going to have to be an off-season thing where he just is, is, is working at it every single day. If it, doesn't, if it doesn't get better in the near future, in the next couple of years, he's going to be the designated hitter. There's no way that you can sustain a guy behind the plate losing games um, with balls just flying by him. You just can't do it. Is he better than what Mike Piazza was defensively? Oh, I don't know. Mike, that's, that's, that's unfair. It's too young. Mike Piazza played an entire career and was terrible forever. The entire time he was well, bad, and but he was and always he had a, a shitty arm. And he had a shitty arm. Oh, terrible arm! I, I just can't remember how he was as far as like framing pitches and working with pitchers. Clearly, he was pretty good, or else I don't think he would have been 
a catcher his entire time. They would have moved him to first base eventually, or he would have signed with an AL team and just DH'd. Yeah, I don't remember the the mechanics of him behind the plate. I remember his arm was bad and that he was in the National League the entire time. So um, the dude, they, that was something that, that people just said, hey, the guy can produce at the plate and they're going to forgive or dismiss or whatever it is about the arm. They said it was good enough. And they said that they will, they will ride with the defensive liability for the offense. And I'm just not good with that. I don't, I don't like that. Um, I don't like that, that mindset. Monday's game, it was Severino versus Kluber, two of the best AL pitchers, premier pitching matchup. Severino coming in had a 3.14 ERA, Kluber 2.63. He's now the AL ERA leader, so maybe some people are saying he's taken over the Cy Young favorite over Chris Sale. It was everything as it was built up to be as we were like going into the sixth inning in that game. Uh, Severino gave only three hits in that game, and they were all home runs. Ended up giving the three earned runs. One of them was an unearned run that he that eventually allowed to score after he came out of the game. Can we say Severino pitched good if he gave up three home runs? Uh, yeah, because to me, you're, when you're when when they're solo shots, you're minimizing damage. You're pitching to a guy, trying to get him out, being aggressive. I, I'm okay with that. I, I, solo home runs never bothered me, especially if there's three solo home runs. Then that's kind of fluky and, and it's a little weird. Um, and that's that's very much what. I think that's why Tanaka has had success in the past. I mean, he goes more aggressively, and he will give up the occasional solo shot. This year's a different story, but in the past, that's kind of what you saw, and I, I was fine with it. I know a lot of people were good with it, um, so I'm, I'm fine with solo solo home runs. In all honesty, I think you have a different approach when there's nobody on base. Definitely, and he only gave up those three hits, so he was dominating the game in that sense he just made three mistakes two of them to jose ramirez one of them to carlos santana they were that you could tell though the yankees were not going to scratch much off Corey kluber they got two runs they actually had a lead todd frazier gave him a, a lead with a two-out rbi hit you'd think with severino on the mound in, in a two in a one-run lead you're pretty confident in that situation it didn't work out yankees went down one like quietly into into the night in the last few innings of that game they have a day off the Tuesday ran out kind of screws them because the doubleheader on Wednesday into four games against Boston. Jaime Garcia is on the mound, gives up the couple of runs early. Pitch is pretty good, though. Five innings, six hits, two, two runs. One of them was unearned because of the Sanchez thing. And then Chad Green comes in and is just dominant. Uh, seven strikeouts. He got eight outs and seven strikeouts. Yeah, I mean, we can't say enough about what Chad Green has been to this bullpen and the the length he's provided out of the bullpen too. I mean, the guy could come in throw one inning and for the majority of the time, he had a, a hiccup at Fenway um, and gave up the, he gave up a couple of runs or it was, I think the runners were just on and they were inherited runs that he had given up uh, at the game that I was at on that Friday night. But he pitched, he was dominant that first inning. Um, and then all year long, he's just been a revelation out of the bullpen. The guy's really found a home and, and really found his groove coming out of that pen. I mean, he's such a big, he's a high strikeout guy. He's a swing and miss guy. He throws hard. And he's just, he seems like a, a, a real just, um, you know, just lean back and rock and fire it in there type guy. He doesn't stress a lot. It doesn't look like much bothers him either. The offense, though, just couldn't get it done. And there's a stat that came out, um, and I updated it after Wednesday's game. The Yankees have now, now allowed the first run to score in the game in 22 of their last 31 games. And with the offense the way it's going, you put yourself in an early hole like that. They get, they get behind the eight ball and then they, they 
they just suck for the rest of the night. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a nice way to put it. They they do they they it's like they um they press uh, they swing at balls that they're not supposed to that they wouldn't normally and they're trying to just scratch across because they know they have to come back. It's 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 not what you want. It's not it's not <laughs> ideal. It pisses me off how many times that is so relevant to say that, but it is not what you want. And um, you know the 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 fact is that they're just not getting out. It's been a it's been a tough stretch offensively with a few different a few small areas. I feel like they've been the valleys rather than the peaks though of uh, the offense coming out in the second half. I'm really hoping that when everybody is healthy and actually back in a groove and and clicking, that they still have you know two to three weeks left of baseball that they can go on a nice run. Are we still holding out hope that that's going to happen? Yeah, I think it's, so. It, it, I, we haven't seen that since early June. Right, they have and that's all been clicking since early June. And what was the what was the common denominator? Everybody was healthy at that point. They were all there. They were that that team that we saw is slowly getting back. They're almost there. You add two more pieces, um, or you add one more piece, or yeah, two more pieces, even with Frazier coming back, but Holiday back, um, and then expanded rosters to kind of add some extra bullets. You're having everybody at that point healthy and, you know, had some at-bats underneath them since they've come back. So I, I still feel like it's setting up for a hot September. That's, that's just kind of how I'm, I'm reading the situation. And uh, I'm really hoping for it. Maybe it's just me being more positive than anything. But, you know, that's what it looks like. Last episode, we said, this is great. Now the Yankees are two and a half back. They don't have to sweep the Red Sox. Are we back on the fact that they have to sweep the Red Sox this weekend? Well, I, I, was, I was really not on the thing that they need to sweep the Red Sox. I, I think they could still split no matter what. I mean, even if they – I still think Dude, they can split no, no matter what. I, I don't think they can split. They, uh, at the very least, there's need too to much, There's too much baseball. There's still a month left of baseball that, that can – a million things can happen. So This is your last chance. This is your last chance going them directly. heads up with them. I get yeah. that. I get that. But I also think that – I still think they're due for a, a, a decent losing streak. I don't think they – they're not good enough to stay hot through September. I just don't see that happening. And I think the Yankees can. I think the Yankees can. I think the Yankees are a better team once fully reloaded. And I think they can have a better September. And even if they're not head to head, you know, whether they take three and one or they go two and two, I think they can come. And, uh, and I still think they can take that division. But they got to take care of everybody else. They got to start winning series uh, that are not against the Red Sox. Because I think the Red Sox will lose series coming up. The. Uh... I think it's a win for the Red Sox if they split. The Yankees have their four best pitchers going, uh, Severino, Tanaka, Sabathia, and Sonny Gray. It's exactly the how they wanted to line it up. It lined up for them in this four-game series. It's interesting because I actually, coming up, when I talked to Rich Keefe, he talked about the Red Sox' biggest weakness going into September. I did not expect him to say what he said, so stay tuned for that. If you guys are going to the stadium this weekend, definitely go grab a Bronx Banner Ale. You saw us drinking it. Scott and I were drinking it on the Facebook Live last week. Um, they're also sponsoring our September 30th event. It's a great uh, summer beer, perfect for baseball as we're wrapping up summer. It's light. It's easy. It's refreshing. Um, if you're there, it's in over six sections at Yankee Stadium. You can also check them out in a bunch of bars around the stadium and in their South Bronx-based tasting room. The other thing about Bronx Brewery is that they are a charitable organization. They give back to New York the beer is every single time they you purchase a Bronx Banner Ale, 5% of the case sold is donated to the New York Restoration Project, which is a local nonprofit focused on making the South Bronx greener and more sustainable. Can't think of a better way to support the community. Drink some good beer, support the community, make the South Bronx green again. 
And if you want to find out where the beer is sold, go to the, thebronxbrewery.com slash find. Select the ba- Bronx banner in the dropdown. Enter your zip code. You can also check out all their other beers. They're, I know their pale oil and their IPA is delicious as well. So check them out, thebronxbrewery.com slash find. Coming up, we, I talked to Rich Keith. Stay tuned for that. And we'll talk to you guys in a few days. Shout out to all the fake fans, to the dreamers that can make plans. Joining me on the podcast now is Rich Keefe from WEEI. You can find him on Twitter at Keefe21. What's going on, man? Not much, man. How you doing? Pretty good. This series coming up, I know we're a few days away from it, but the four-game series, I think this is the biggest Red Sox-Yankees series in like five years, just with all the stuff, all the weight of it with playoff implications. Yeah, you know what? This whole year, we've actually been starting to talk about how good the rivalry you know, was and could be again, because like you said, for a few years there, it kind of died off. I don't think it'll ever, ever get to the point where it was in 03 and 04. It's not saying something. I mean, that, that is the greatest rivalry uh, of all time and at the, at the height of its power. But all of a sudden this year, meaningful games, I mean, it makes sense. You got both teams at the top of the standing. They both have really good players, exciting guys to watch on both sides. And, the difference between winning the division and playing in that one-game play-in is huge. So now all of a sudden you're talking about big, meaningful series between the two teams, which is great. Yeah, that's a good point. That like back in 03-04 when they played late in the season, even though it was it was heated and everyone wanted to kick each other's ass, at least the team could fall back and say, well, we're still going to be in the division series, no big deal. Right, yeah, exactly. They knew that, they had that assurance. And I think what will really help is if these two teams could could face off in the division series this year, I mean, needs that would just to launch it back into yeah. You, you you don't think it will, or you think it needs to? Oh, it needs to. Yeah, no, it absolutely needs to. Yeah, and and it could. I mean, it it, it could line up that way. You know, we'll we'll see what happens. The Red Sox for a little while look like they could maybe catch the uh, the Astros for number one seed. I don't know if that'll happen, but if they could, obviously the ALCS would be unbelievable. But even the DS, just to get a a series of back and forth, get the get the hatred going again would be would be tremendous. A loser goes home match. That's what we need between these two teams. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. Let's see it. So, from a rivalry perspective, I think, like you were saying, it's been better this season and the season past. Are is that? Do you, are you hating any of these young Yankees like Gary Sanchez, Aaron Judge? From a Red Sox fan perspective, do you hate these guys yet? Because I'm hating some of these Red Sox players. Finally. Well, no, that, and that's good to hear. I don't think I was – I'll tell you what, it wasn't obviously in a, in a series against the Red Sox, but seeing what Gary Sanchez did in that brawl against the Tigers, some of the cheap shots he was taking, I feel like he could be easily hateable. Uh, Aaron Judge, not hateable. I mean, the only reason he's hateable maybe here is because he's on the Yankees, but he'd be somebody that everybody would really enjoy watching on a, on a nightly basis. Uh, I don't think it's fair yet. At least, at least you know the the impression that I get from callers that we talk to on a daily basis. Right now, it's still that they're hating, you know, the pinstripes and they're hating the 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 name on the front of the jersey. Not yet on the back, but thankfully they do have young stars, so it's really only a matter of time until those guys become you know the next villain. What did you think of Pedro's comments about Gary Sanchez? And if you haven't heard them, let me know. What did he say? Well, he was like that this is going to follow him around, what he was doing, cheap-shotting Miguel oh, oh, Cabrera. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That, I I agree with that. I think I think it's true, and I think, obviously, Pedro, the former player, would, would certainly know. I think any series against Detroit is, obviously, he is going to be highlighted. He's going to be a guy that they go after. That's not going away. 
for a long time. But I also just think how players see that. It might not be, you know, every series that they face. And maybe it's not quite as big of a deal as, as Pedro makes it out to be. But, you know, everybody saw that. You know, that, that was on the highlights. Every player is, is aware of that. They're going to know where he is in those situations. And we know how some pitchers like to take matters into their own hands, and they might feel justified in, in you know, going at Sanchez, sure. But, but uh, you don't think it's a little hypocritical considering what he did to Don Zimmer? Well, Don Zimmer rushed him. Don Zimmer, like an idiot, comes flying out of the dugout and tries to attack Pedro. I thought Pedro, and Pedro's actually apologized for that, which I never thought he should. I was like, that guy, that old guy was running after you. You just did whatever you could. You kind of old him out of the way, which I thought was the, maybe the best defensive move he could have done. Um, but no, that's no, that to me, I feel like is much different. And yeah, I think Don Zimmer has even had uh, talked about that afterwards, and he said it's one of the most uh, regretful things he's ever done. And then he almost blacked out, and he didn't even know what he was going to do when he got there. He just knew he hated Pedro. He was pissed off at the guy and started running at him. No, I mean it was an amazing moment. But you're right. I think I think both guys afterwards felt like, what, what are we doing here? Like this is yeah. this is a great rivalry. This is ends up being a great moment. But I think in a weird way, both were very embarrassed by by what they did. Yeah, Zimmer forgot for a second that he wasn't 35 years old anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You gotta, you gotta love the passion. You gotta love the heart. But yeah, they just he didn't he didn't have the body behind it. Yeah, that's those old school old school guys. That's that's what the sport was missing for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. And and you get flashes of it now. You know, and that was one of the things. As much as uh, you know, David Ortiz can do no wrong around here. That was one thing that annoyed some Red Sox fans. Would be him. You know hanging out with, with Robinson Cano, you know, mm-hmm. like the night before the game, or, or talking on first base with Giambi or whoever it was. Because at, at, at that moment, you're like, oh, man, maybe maybe we as fans care more about it. Not necessarily the performance, but just more about how much you hate the other team than, than the players do. But every once in a while, you do get a flash of, all right, these teams, you know, they don't get along. That's a great point, because I remember even when Cano uh, was in the All-Star game, he would always be hanging around David Ortiz using him as a mentor. And then as soon as Cano left the Yankees, he grew an identical beard to David Ortiz. And, like, I thought they looked like cousins at that point, that you couldn't even tell them apart. Yeah, no, that, that, that was great. And that was always a guy, you know, Ortiz would be on second base or, you know, a, a pitcher's meeting, and they're, like, bro-hugging on second. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, save, save it for, you know, when there's no cameras around. It's just, it kind of took a little something out of it. Right, you got, you got bro-hugs at second base, the wave going around the stadium. It's just not what it used to be. No, it's not. No, we're, we're getting old. Like we, we, in our day, the rivalry was so much better. Uh, speaking of on the field or actually off the field, Dustin Pedroia, he was kind of gonna step in as the Red Sox leader once Ortiz left, but his absence, like, what's his status, and is his injury been a huge loss for the Red Sox this year? Yeah, he's actually been doing really well. You know, he was leading the team in batting average and on base percentage when he went down. He's been dealing with a knee injury all season long. And it sounds like it might be something that he's always going to be dealing with. You know, he's in his, you know, close to his mid thirties now. So this may not be something he ever fully recovers from, but he could play this in, in this weekend series uh, against the Yankees. I guess the plan, I think he was out there working out today, uh, hopefully being able to come off the, the DL and it would be nice. I think he's only been in the lineup maybe once with Eduardo Nunez after they, they acquired him right around the deadline. So it would be nice to see Nunez and Devers and Pedroia all in the same lineup for once. Um, that would be their, those would be three of their best nine that they could trot out there. So hopefully this weekend 
you know, Red Sox fans get a chance to see him. It seems like he's had some injury problems the last couple of years, and I was actually just before we started recording looking at his contract, and I was like kind of shocked to see he's signed through 2021. Like, I don't see him making it through the end of that contract. No, I, I know. And when he signed that deal, I remember being pretty blown away. Like, he's obviously uh, a great player. I mean, he's a league MVP, for God's sakes. I know that might have been a down year, but he, but he still he won the MVP. And just when I've been ready to sort of count him out and say, all right, he's completely done. Like, he, he's cooked. They're going to have to move on from him. You know, he has a, a year like this, or at least a start to the year like this, or even more than start, you know, a good half of the year where he's hitting over 300 and, he, and he's playing. He's always played well defensively, and then he's hit again this year. And so you say, all right, well, maybe he can, you know, extend this out. It, he, he signed for a zillion years, and you're right, he probably won't finish that out. But I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he plays a, a, another year or two. You know, and maybe eventually you move him down lower in the lineup like he's always hitting the top third of the lineup throughout the entire season so he's kind of he's, he's surprised me a bit this year yeah I kind of he plays kind of similarly to, similarly to Brett Gardner just balls to the wall so like he's going to deal with yeah. injuries Gardner will go down uh or just have nagging injuries and it sucks all of the life out of his bat and you're like well why does Gardner stink now oh it's because he's dealing with a shoulder injury kind of similar things to Pedroia it seems yeah I mean oh yeah because he's out there I mean he it looks like Pedroia is swinging out of his shoes every time he's up there. Yeah. And it's one of those things when he was a rookie, you're like, this this guy's not going to work. And then he wins rookie of the year. The next year he's winning the MVP. And you're like, all right, never mind. He turns out he's a very good player. But, yeah, the way, you know, the way he runs the bases, the way he's diving in the field, like you, you got to take some of these injuries. And I do wonder, because they got Nunez, who's, who's not great in the field, but he can obviously play second base, I wouldn't be surprised if they take some of it away from him and say, hey, you're going to DH a bunch of games and at least get your bat in the lineup with less chance of you getting hurt. How many times would you say Nunez's helmet has fallen off since he's been a Red Sox? Yeah, I don't think it fits. I don't know <laughs> what what the deal is. Although, the Red Sox have a long line of great players. See Manny Ramirez and up and down, but Hanley Ramirez. Those guys just don't love having their helmets on. So I guess if it works for them, then you know, what can I say? Yeah, well, it, it didn't make sense with those guys because they weren't running very fast. At least Nunez is running fast while, while they were doing it. That's true. Those, those guys are just more off like a swing or <laughs> yeah. you know a quick step to first base. Yeah, at least at least Nunez is, is flying around the bases. So what's going on with David Price? I feel like this is the David Price saga in Boston has been a shit show. Oh my God, it absolutely has been. And what happened to him and most fans. I think anyway, dislike him. Like they can't stand David Price. He's, they signed him to this crazy contract, as everybody knows. It's the, it's the richest contract in Red Sox team history, and he gets a bru- he has a brutal start to the season last year. So he was all he was behind the eight ball. His ERA was you know the sixes and all this stuff. Everyone's saying he's a bust. That was early on. He ended up pitching a little bit better later in the year, but then he ends it in the playoffs against the Indians with a terrible start. And that was always the concern with Price. Was that he sucks in the postseason. And so he's had one chance here in Boston, and he was bad. Then he starts the year on the DL this year. He comes back. He's pretty good. Not great. You know, not David Price, you know, with Tampa or Detroit good, but he was fine. Then the whole incident with David, uh, Dennis Eckersley, which I'm sure you, you've discussed, and it was just ridiculous. He's so, he's so sensitive, and it just doesn't fit well here in Boston at all. But apparently he was going to be pitching from the mound today or tonight. I'm not sure what the what the deal was. So 
maybe by tomorrow we'll have a clearer timetable on whether or not he's going to be back. But, yeah, he what he's going to have to do is he's going to have to pitch well in the playoffs. And I don't know if that's going to be this year or, or next year or ever, but that's the only way he could get back in the good grace of a Red Sox fan. And, but he's never done that before. And obviously he can. He's capable nope. of it. He's a good pitcher. But like you said, he's so sensitive. And Boston, New York, these kinds of markets do not – are they're not kind to sensitive players. No, no, not at all. And, you know, yeah, it's just – it's been a real struggle. And I, I feel like that sometimes gets overblown when they're like, oh, like how, how's this player going to handle Boston or how they're going to handle, you know, New York or Philly. And I'm like, well, if they're a good player, they'll, they'll be fine. But when, they, when they're when they so worried about what people say about them on Twitter or what a reporter is going to say about them in an article or all this stuff, if you care that much, then, man, maybe, maybe this isn't the place for you. And you look at the places that he's played before, you know, Tampa Bay, nobody cares. Uh, Detroit and Toronto, I would say they care, but it's not as obsessive as it is, you know, here or, or you know, with the Yankees. Like, it's just, it's a lot different. So... He also pitched it's, in Detroit with Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Like he was not the number one pitcher there. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Like he didn't he didn't have to take on that that whole responsibility. And but then you know in the playoffs, it would just swallow him up, and, and yeah. he, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be the same guy. He's pitching out of the bullpen and all this other nonsense. So yeah, he is uh, he has struggled. And I'll, to be honest, a lot of us here are hoping he has an opt out after next year. And you know the hope is that he will. He'll say, you know what, I know I'm making a lot of money, but maybe I can make money somewhere else and just be more happy. And, and the hope is, it's crazy. You know, they signed him a year ago, you're like, here you go, they got their ace, and now people want him gone. They're like, yeah, he's, he's not working. Well, isn't his contract set up so he makes like $30 million a year if he doesn't opt out? I don't know if you're going to walk away from that if you're David Price. I mean, $30 million a year is ridiculous. So, no, it is absolutely ridiculous. But my hope is that he gets maybe an extra year from somebody, and maybe it's not thirty million, but maybe it's twenty-five. Like, I mean, you know how the contracts are going up and up, and, and they're they're you know bad pitchers or mediocre pitchers are making a ton of money. So maybe a team, you know, uh, some team in the National League would be willing to sign him to a uh, a contract to just take him off the Red Sox fan. Right? Maybe the Dodgers will sub- save your ass again. They could. I mean, they've done it once before. Maybe they would do it again. And you wonder, too, like, if he gives up for a guy who's going to make three, four hundred million dollars in his career, could he sacrifice 25 just to be a little bit happier? Like, you would hope some guys would, would weigh that into their decision. Yeah, it's interesting because he came to Boston and he was so, like, he seemed like he was, like, embracing it. And I know he had, like, he's very active on Twitter, which I appreciate when players are active on Twitter. But it immediately backfired yeah. with him. And as soon as he started to struggle, he just couldn't he couldn't handle that. That's why I almost feel like if you're a player, it's you either you either don't have don't, you're not sensitive on social media or you just don't have social media at all because it's it's just backfiring. Yeah, Chris Sale's not on, on Twitter or any of that stuff, I don't believe. And when he came in you're wondering, all right, here's another guy, great pitcher somewhere else, like how is he gonna be here? And that was one thing that we noticed right away, like I don't think he cares what anybody says about him. He's not searching his name on Twitter. And if he is, he's not letting anybody know about it. Mm-hmm. And so he seems like a guy that just wants to pitch, and he has been amazing this year. And you're right, it's just not to say to any player, hey, you guys shouldn't be on there. 
but if you know that it's going to affect you, like you were saying, if it's going to bother you that much, well, then maybe take a break. I, mean, I, think, I think you can, you know, when you retire in, in 10 years or whatever, you can do all the social media that you want. You can get sensitive. You can tweet back to people. But if it's going to start to affect how you play on the field, you, you need to deal with it. Uh, I want to talk about Andrew Benintendi, and he's one of the guys that I've really started to hate. Just uh, he's been killing the Yankees, and something about his face annoys yeah. me. But he was uh, was leading the rookie of the year, or he was the rookie of the year favorite going into the season. Then Aaron Judge happened in the first half. But it's interesting because right. Benintendi struggled at, at, to start, and then he sat down for a few days, and he's had a really good season since then. And right now, a similar thing is going on with Aaron Judge, where Girardi sat him down because he's been really terrible since the all-star break trying to get him turned around. So like, what is, what has Ben and season been like? Yeah. Ben and season has been, uh, like you, like you said, like he, he started out fine. You know, he wasn't great. He, and, and maybe he still would have been at the top of the rookie of the year discussion. If it wasn't for judge, you know, hitting for the triple crown there in the, in the first half of the year, but Ben and has been pretty good. He's been hitting kind of all over in the lineup. You know, they put a lot of trust in him early in the season. He was hitting, pretty high up, and then they would have to move him down. Now he's back to hitting high up again in the lineup. And now with Jackie Bradley Jr. being hurt, not only is he um, you know, hitting high in the lineup, but he's, he's playing center field. They moved him over. They, they basically have three center fielders in their starting outfield with Mookie Betts, Bradley, and Ben Attendi. But Betts has been so good at getting used to right field that they decided to leave him there. So they're putting a little bit more on Ben Attendi, allowing him to play center. And you're right, he, I think it was three straight games that he sat down for. And I, I remember thinking it was too much. I mean, let, let him play out of it. Like, what, like well, I don't like this, him sitting down. But it ended up being the right move because since he's come back, uh, he was one of the, the hottest hitters in baseball for like a few weeks in a row there. Uh, so he's been good. I mean, he's last year when he got called up, you could see sort of what he was capable of. And that's why I think expectations were so high for him at the beginning of the year. But you now he's a part of a, a young outfield that uh, – People love here. Like those, you're talking about. You know, people hate David Price. Uh, the fan favorites, though, in addition to Sale, are probably the, the young guys that outfield. Uh, you uh, you mentioned Farrell sitting him down, so that was one of the moves he made that actually paid off. I know he's not really liked in Boston. Is that still the case? Yeah, it is. It's still the case. Even they've been in first place. I mean, almost the entire season, and you'll still get calls. You know, if he does something with the bullpen that they disagree with or whatever else, you, you'll still get the fire Farrell calls. Like, you really, you really do. It's pretty amazing. He's never been that like. The guy wins the World Series in his first year. Now, they did have a couple of last-place finishes, which I think have really, you know, without question, soured people on it. They make the playoffs last year, but then they get swept out by the Indians. So now this is year five for John Farrell. Two playoff appearances, two terrible loss seasons, and now you're sort of seeing, all right, what what can he do? But, yeah, people don't like him. People are not a, <laughs> uh, a fan of, of John Farrell. And I think that will get magnified depending on what happens in this upcoming series against the Yankees. You know, people are going to be looking for reasons to, to get rid of him. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so we've got the series, the four-game series, uh, at, and the Yankees had a rain out tonight. The Red Sox are playing in Toronto. So as it sits as we're talking, it's three and a half games. It might be two and a half or it might be four and a half. But – this series for the Yankees, they pretty much need to win the series or even sweep. But uh, what would you say going into September is the Red Sox' biggest weakness? So one thing that uh, they've been able to overcome it, again, they're, they're in first place, but they don't have 
power. Like you look at you look at their lineup. They got some guys that sure they can hit home runs, but it's not really their thing. And they've been shut out. I think it's ten times this year. And so I just my fear is I don't think it'll necessarily get them in the uh, in the regular season, but in the playoffs, if there's a game where they're they're struggling to hit. I don't know if they have that guy that's going to come up, hit a three-run homer, and, and make up for the offense that day. That, that's been something that they've been, again, able to avoid too much trouble with that or, or prolonged losing streaks. But I still think no true power bat is probably the, the team's biggest weakness. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because you look up and down the lineup, and it, it on paper anyway, it looks like a really strong lineup. And I feel like every time the Yankees play the Red Sox, Hanley Ramirez is hitting doubles and home runs. So he seems like a nice power bat, but I know he's not had a great season. Yeah, no, last year he was incredible. Last year he was like 30 and 100, and, it, and you know, Betts was great. They had David Ortiz in it last year. They, they had power, and it was, it was a deep lineup, uh, which it ultimately didn't matter come playoff time. They, they all really struggled there. But this year, yeah, it's just been a, an issue. And, and Hanley's streaky, so, you know, Hanley could have a good series for him. But you're, you're just looking to see, do they have a 30, 30 or 35 home run guy? It, it doesn't feel like they do. Maybe one day Ben Attendee will do that. Maybe Seth will bounce back or maybe something will happen. But, yeah, they, they don't have the Aaron Judge, you know, sitting in the, in the middle of that order. Right. Well, Rich, we definitely appreciate you coming on. And uh, like we were talking at the beginning, hopefully the Yankees and Red Sox can meet in October. I, I hope you're right. That'd be great. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.